0: at and Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by at and data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, hey, John, we have a story this week about a city getting hit with some sort of ransomware.
1: Uh, yeah, the city of Atlanta, actually five, I guess, of its 13 offices um, got hit with Uh, what's called the SamSam ransomware. The thing that's interesting about this one is that the way this attacker behaves, that actor probes their target's public internet-facing infrastructure and then tries to find weaknesses in there, like easy to guess passwords, and then they'll pivot into the company from there. And they target these kind of rich targets, Where when I say rich, I mean, where they think they might pay off, so, Uh, government agencies, um, healthcare, and a lot of times they'll actually target, they're not gonna target a big government institution, they're gonna target smaller little city things where they're hopefully gonna be able to get their ransom paid. These guys are really um, surgical in who they target and how they target them. So uh, an interesting actor, but also a very talented uh, adversary to deal with. They they use very advanced techniques. Typically, I, I guess, It depends on what your perspective is, but when we watch botnet activity, we're generally looking for these beaconings of command and control activity back. So, and that works very well for ransomware things like WannaCry and some of these other ones where they target, you know, the endpoint users because those devices beacon out to some central command and control. You can look for that. You can find out how many infected devices you have. In this case, they're kind of like one guy weasels his way into a server, the attacker does, and then he's moving around. Uh, his way inside there. So unless you have really, it's it's very quiet, I guess, and stealthy the way they that they operate. Sam Sam, I wonder if you know the,
0: you know, you look at the the targets that are chosen. You know, clearly, if you think like a malicious actor and you're trying to pick the targets that you're going after, clearly what you're going to pick is those things like healthcare, right? That you know
1: have data that's worth something. They're finding these organizations that do have a lot of public um, interfaces or touch points where the public is going to need their services that they provide. So when they get hit with ransomware, they probably need to get back on their feet really quickly and they might be more willing to pay that ransom because they can't deal with an extended period of out time, especially a, a hospital. And any knowledge outside of that company or whatever
0: any knowledge of that data being encrypted equates to losing the data, right? right. So, and you can't afford anybody to even think that you've lost the data. Even if, in a ransomware case, there may actually not be any theft of data itself, right? You may not, the bad actors may not pull any data back. Right. They may just literally just encrypt it, have the keys, and just be waiting for the ransomware. Um, but, you know, out in the public, anybody who hears ransomware is gonna probably associate loss of data, and that's going to jack the price up of how much you can ask for you know, the de- decryption. Right.
1: So it's kind of a different tactic than we see a lot with ransomware, which usually like spear phishing or worm-like behavior like WannaCry is. With
2: this, the actor is not using phishing campaigns. They're not uh, just randomly throwing it out there hoping to get paid. They're, they're thinking through it. They're probing the network. They're getting in via, you know, sneakier means. And once they feel that they're comfortable enough to have it spread through that network a much, you know, to flip it on, then they can ask for an amount that they feel pretty confident that they're going to get. So there's, it's, it's, a, it's an evolution of how ransomware is, is turning into Uh, compared to when it first
1: started yeah i agree Uh, they're more surgical in the way that they uh, approach their targets as opposed to some of these other ransomwares that act like worms and like WannaCry was very indiscriminate as to who it hit just kept trying to find new machines to infect and it just infected everybody it could right they these guys they do they 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 pick a target and then they get in there they don't just let something right, go no, run wild just, right. trying to find infection, you know, uh, devices that are compromisable, so. Yep. In this case,
0: I think what, you know, what we have to sort of tell our viewers is make sure that you're patched, right? I mean, most of the vulnerabilities that they're exploiting are vulnerabilities that are well known and that there is a patch for.
1: Also having a uh, really good awareness of what you actually have that is internet-facing. Sometimes people don't realize how much is being exposed to the internet, the public internet, and having really good uh, inventory of those assets as well as the software that's on them. Hey Tony, um, so I hear there's uh, another vulnerability that was announced in a real popular content management system out there. Yeah, so in in the past few days, uh, a bunch of new articles came out about Drupal uh, CMS. Drupal is a very, very popular content management system. Similar, but maybe a little bit more polished than WordPress. Um, But there's a lot of deployment of it.
2: What happened here and what the articles are stating is a uh, a gentleman named Jasper Mattson, who's a researcher and an auditor for Drupal websites, came across this flaw. It will allow anyone that goes to that website, if they know of the flaw, to access the entire website, public, private, all of its data, and they can modify it, they can delete it. However, since he is a researcher auditor, what he did is he went to Drupal uh, themselves and reported it. And on March 28th, it looks like that is when they released the patch for this particular vulnerability. It covers uh, three different versions of Drupal, uh, 6, 7, and 8. What I would suggest anyone that, that's running Drupal is to, to go to the website and uh, check it out themselves to make sure that if they're using it, they get patched and you know their, their versions are either impacted or not.
0: With remote code execution, in essence, they own your server, which means they literally have a whole range of different attacks um, that they can run against your server or against other servers, right? I mean, really, the sky's the limit when we're talking about remote code execution.
2: There's millions of websites that are, are built with Drupal as their backend framework across the world. With this patch being, being out there, I do hope that you know people test it and get this thing out there right away before somebody out there decides to make the vulnerability public And that would cause uh, just a tremendous amount of of problems globally.
1: Yeah, at some point, you know, just like most of these patches that come out, Mm -hmm. somebody's going to diff the two patches. What's the old version look like? What's the new version look like? And they're going to figure out what is that exploit vector. And they're going to write an exploit for it. And then I would worry that you're going to get some bad actors out there compromising these websites, turning them into either bots for part of their botnet or backend infrastructure for, as part of their botnet and things of that nature. So, you know, I guess that's why we kind of do the show is to let people know if you use Drupal, and it actually is used by lots of businesses, um, small to medium, not necessarily really large ones, but small to medium businesses, in a lot of cases, use Drupal. Um, and this
0: covers uh, a wide range of versions. There's quite a few versions. It's been out for quite some time. So there's a bunch of different versions out there. And unfortunately, what we're seeing is, is that there is a good section of those versions right now that are actually vulnerable to this remote
1: code execution bug. Uh, they're actually calling this in, the, in like some of the forums and chat rooms, uh, Drupal get 2 Mm. Um, There was a Drupal Geddon back in 2014 that had a, you know, similarly bad bug in Drupal that they were calling Drupal Geddon. This is Drupal Geddon 2, so uh, definitely one to highly pay attention to if you are a Drupal uh, user or administrator for a website.
2: Yeah, I I just hope that, you know, later on in in future episodes there won't be a new uh, discussion about the impacts of, you know, botnet servers that are running Drupal that are you know, doing, you know, wreaking its own havoc out there. So let's, let's hope that doesn't happen, but uh, you just never know with a flaw like this.
1: So if you're in management, what you would want to do is talk with your IT people to see if Drupal is deployed within your enterprise, uh, especially in a public internet facing footprint. You know, That's where it would be most at risk. So understanding that you actually have this
0: first, and then, second, obviously, running the patch against it.
2: So, Manny, you got something about Cloudflare you want to share with us?
0: So, I think probably most people know who Cloudflare is. They're a, you know, basically a content distribution network. They provide, you know, DDoS uh, mitigation. They actually provide a whole ton of services, and they've been around for a while. Um, and they have recently come up with a basically their own you know dns it's a dns service it's free and it's public and in essence provides a level of privacy that we haven't seen before from a a free dns service they're hosting it on 1.1.1.1 right they launched this which everybody thought was an april fools joke on April first, oh. four slash one. So oh, right. four, four ones, 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 right? Right, exactly. So, so I think they got a little bit of slack from all the media, you know, saying, "Hey, is this a joke?" You know, um, but they quickly, you know, pointed everybody to the actual site. So if, I think if you go to https slash dot one dot one dot one, you'll actually get to a page that shows you everything about what the service is actually going to provide. So, of course, they're promising to speed up your internet connection. So they're saying that going to this provides you a 10 millisecond faster DNS response than the next closest, the next fastest DNS resolver. Right.
1: No one's on it yet. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I saw that and I was like, nobody's using it yet. Right. So let's see how things shake out uh, in about six months.
0: Right. So what they're promising in terms of privacy is They promise never to write the querying IP address to disk, okay? Okay. And to wipe all of their logs
1: of DNS queries within 24 hours. You know, their focus in their service is speed and privacy. That's been a hot topic lately, so I think that they're probably gonna get a lot of people interested. So to me, this is a little interesting because um, I understand where they're going, right? In terms of a privacy thing. But then you've got some of these other providers like OpenDNS and Mm -hmm. I've used them. And one of the things I like about them is the fact that because they keep a log of where you go and what you're doing, you get a really powerful control panel Mm -hmm. that you can actually turn on and off certain things. So I could say, hey, I wanna see where I was going to uh, from my home network um, and maybe I want to block uh, advertising domains, or I want to block adult content uh, <clears throat> domains and things of that nature. So they give you some kind of customizable control panel to control your DNS experience. Right. Um, where I'm going to guess, I don't know, but it sounds like if they're not keeping any data, um, they may or may not have much control panel configurability to your DNS experience, even though it is a free public service. Right. Uh, so um, I guess it's a mix of what you really want. Uh, capability-wise as a user
2: yep. I think the timing on this is is pretty important for them to bring this out in lieu of some of the things that we're hearing now about you know data and privacy you know what's what's going on out there and, and people are really starting to turn into keeping their data to themselves as compared to, you know, a couple years ago, everyone posts and and does all all this other stuff, and now it's starting to kind of pull into itself, and this is just one other feature, you know, stop tracking where I'm going for uh, those individuals that want to be anonymous completely out there on the Internet, which is next to impossible, but this is one step closer to it. So I think think the timing with, with their announcement on April 1st is well thought out. Good marketing.
0: Right. Yeah. So, you know, switching over to something like this doesn't really make sense for, for for businesses or big businesses. I think this is really more geared towards the individuals that, you know, that do have sort of privacy concerns.
1: Typically in an enterprise footprint, your system administrators and security people are gonna to wanna to know where your users are visiting inside your company, so you want some logging. All right, Manny, take a look at the internet weather for this week, and um, I'm gonna mostly skip over the most probe ports. As we've talked about on the show, uh, it's not insignificant, but these are the ports that are probed the most, but not necessarily by the most unique source IPs. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna kind of skip over these, because there's some more interesting things in the, in uh, the scan sources um, uh, chart here. So the one that I thought was really interesting is port 2000 TCP went up 371 positions um, to the number three spot. And we're gonna take a closer look at that one and what that's probably about. I have some theories on that. And then 8291, we're gonna talk about that one as well and what that is probably is. And then the 5555 TCP we've talked about on the show previously, it's been an active port in the past uh, maybe month or so. The first one we're going to look at is port 8291 TCP, which is associated with Microtech, which is a router. Uh, Around March 24th, somewhere in the middle of the day there, we started to see uh, basically we went from nobody scanning on this port, 8291, all the way up to about 100,000 scan sources per hour, which is a lot. And it's since gone down, but it's still up there, so compared to where it was before. So now the reason behind this one, it's probably related to the Hajime botnet. Uh, Hajime does go after Microtech routers, and it looks like what they're doing is they're scanning to see if port 8291 is open. And then if it is, I think they actually leverage a remote code execution maybe against a different port. Um, but this 8291 is a good one for them to kind of find just the microtech devices. So uh, 360 NetLab blog actually put a, a post out on March 28th, a few days ago, uh, about this scanning on port 8291, and they talk about um, some of this. I would recommend people read this article if they if they can. Uh, it's pretty easy to find.
0: We've seen this before, right? I mean, so yes. <clears throat> you only showed a 15-day window, but I think in the past we've seen.
1: So you'll see this is, uh, compared to the old Hajime, this one adds two new features. This particular behavior, scanning for port 8291 TCP is a new behavior uh, that we hadn't seen prior to, um, I guess this new version of code that they were able to get a copy of. So then the next interesting one that was not on the radar last week, but is this week, is that port 2000 TCP. So you can see lots of scanning, and again, it's up in the hundreds, to 110,000 scan sources per hour, which is a lot. I think what this is probably related to, this is a very popular port for uh routers, and they actually have like a bandwidth test tool. So you can like hit this port 2000 on a micro router, and it does some kind of like bandwidth testing to see what kind of bandwidth the router has to you back and forth. Right. So you can see that they kind of maybe abandoned, almost, not entirely obviously, the scanning on 8291 right around the same time that they picked up doing the activity on 2000. Yep. So I think there may be, there's probably another version out there yet to be analyzed and discussed uh, that is using that port as a fingerprinting method and then doing maybe a similar thing for compromising these micro routers. There are a lot of them out there. Uh, we've got hundreds of thousands of devices simultaneously scanning for this, so that's a pretty significant number of them. Which means are probably that many compromised devices. And then the last one is this port 5555 TCP, which is the Android uh, debugger interface. You know, Android devices have the ability to turn on a debugger port for you to debug applications that are running on there, and uh, some. Small number of devices have left this on for one reason or other. Because it is a debug port, and it does give you really low level access to the device, it's really easy to uh, execute your own code on there once that port is open. And that's what somebody's figured out how to do, at least one person or probably more. And they're looking for more and creating a botnet out of these devices.
0: It looks like there's a significant amount, I think there was about 7,000 devices so far that he had picked up that had this port open. And unfortunately with you know a port being open, all kinds of mischief can happen.
1: So that's a good one to keep an eye on. We do know that there's a family of malware going out that looks for this port to be open, installs a Monero uh, uh, mining piece of malware on the device. That might be uh, a lion's share of activity for this, but uh, there's probably some other people looking to do other things with that as well. And that's it for this week. That's all we really have. But I thought those were some interesting ones.
0: The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.